Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the greatest podcast on the entire internet, hypothetically speaking? Standing at six foot from Surprise, Arizona, the master of news, Gideon Karyuki. Standing 5-2 from Ann Arbor, Michigan, the greatest sports commentator in the history of mankind, it's Nicole Pinter, and our entertainment guru, a surprising 5-3 from an M&M factory in Hackettstown, New Jersey, Kirsten Dorman, and I'm your fourth host, standing a generous 5-8 from Phoenix, Arizona, on Joe. I put way too much effort into that. Hey, it's hypothetically speaking. <laughs> One of the greatest podcasts in the world. I'm Vaughn. I'm joined by Kristen, Nicole, and Gideon, who are all speechless at the moment, apparently. I just, I can't believe I'm from an M&M factory. <laughs> you said there was an M&M factory in Hackettstown, so I just assumed that's where you were from. Right. I came directly out of the factory. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Hackettstown, um, if you turn over a typical pack of M&M's or a Snickers bar, you will see made in Hackettstown, New Jersey in like the teeny tiny letters. And that's also uh, tattooed on Kirsten on her shoulder. It yeah. Made in Hackettstown. Yeah, but you weren't supposed to tell anyone. My bad. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to have to kill you and everyone that listens to this to keep my secret. <laughs> How's everybody else doing? Are we having a good day? Yes, uh, I'm having a great one. Uh, it's yeah, it's a lovely day here. It's not as hot as it was last the last two weeks. Still summer, but triple digits and whatnot. But yeah, I'm liking it. It's fun. It's cool. I do have a summer class that I'm starting, and that is not fun though. Uh, so school, Nicole. Lame, Vaughn. I just want you to know uh, that's going to be our promo. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah, has cool. to be. That's cool. Yeah, we can do that. I forgot, like with Blades, maybe you're not tech. It doesn't matter. You're going to be in the promo. No, it's cool. No, they can um, yell at us later. So basically, I don't know how I timed that so perfectly. But when I said hypothetically speaking, and then there was like the extra guitar in there, by the way, that song is uh, Serious by the Alan Parsons Project. It took me like an embarrassing amount of time to find it because I didn't know what the name uh, was. You could have just looked up Chicago Bulls intro, and yeah, you would have been there in two and seconds. I and I, I could have done that. Literally, the video I used is, is his you, you music nerd theme song next to it. I you forgot. music nerd, you had to find the exact source. I know I did. Um, so we have look into some news. Um, we've got a, a, I think, a really really solid show today. Well, let's I say we let, let's get started. Gideon, what do you got? Yes. Yeah, so hello. Uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot to I forgot to mention I'm Gideon. If you, in case you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, and today I'm going to do something a little different than our normal news segments. They tend to be pretty fast paced, but I'm going to slow things down a bit. To for those of you who are familiar with Kirsten and I's other show, the Re- Review Squared, this is more in that style than hypothetically is. So let me just get into it. Okay. Uh, The Supreme Court, led by Justice Samuel Alito here, delivered a 6-3 majority ruling in favor of Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich in a case about restrictions on out-of-precinct voting and ballot harvesting in Arizona, according 
in the status block. To give the condensed version of what those terms mean, out of precinct voting refers to voting done at a precinct that is not the voters assigned precinct. Uh, for those of you, when you register to vote, you might notice your voter registration card says precinct and insert name here. It's where the physical place you're assigned to vote, uh, which I'll talk about in Arizona in a minute later. But and ballot harvesting refers to the practice of someone taking another person's mail-in ballot that is not a relative or caregiver. So to kind of give the history of how this case even made it up to the Supreme Court, uh, it started in 2016 when the Democratic National Committee uh, here uh, took the state of Arizona to federal court, which is why it names Bernovich, uh, <clears throat> arguing that both of these restrictions enacted in a law and uh, laws in Arizona violate section two of the Voting Rights Act, which the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, when it made it up to that level, agreed with. Uh, cannot say the same for the Supreme Court. In Alito's opinion, he disagrees with that ruling from the Ninth Circuit, saying that section two has never been used to strike down regulations on the time, place of or manner of voting, but is rather used to challenge vote dilution, in this case, meaning redistricting maps that dilute minority voting power. And that the core of section two is that voting must be equally open to all people participating in the system. Alito notably did not include a full list of circumstances courts should consider when looking at a violation of section two. Uh, in other words, no complete test was made here. This is not a, this is very broad and it, yeah, it's not a definitive ruling on the legality of disparate impact on voting restrictions. But anyways, in the stuff he did talk about, he did include voting rule challenge differs from the standard practice in 1982, uh, context of the whole voting system and the reason why the restriction is being placed. I should note on the 1982 restriction, that was when a lot of the Voting Rights Act was heavily modified. That's why he brings up 1982. And on the last circumstance listed, talking about the rationale, Alito said that wanting to prevent voter fraud is a quote, strong and entirely legitimate state interest, end quote. And I'll read another quote from Alito here to uh, round out the explanation of the majority. Quote, to the extent that minority and non-minority groups differ with respect to employment, wealth, and education, even neutral regulations, no matter how crafted, may well result in some predictable disparities in voting and non-compliance with voting rules, end quote. Okay, so to kind of talk briefly about the dissent here, it was written by Justice Elena Kagan, one of the liberals on the court, and she says the majority ruling undermines Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and says that this uh, majority reads the Section 2 narrowly. So that's kind of the summary there. Uh, I should put this into context. I did kind of briefly mention this last week. The kind of the context of this is the kind of slow erosion of the Voting Rights Act and voting rights generally at the Supreme Court. Uh, so 
to many, from what I have seen, the response from a lot of liberals and voting rights advocates has been pretty, has ranged from disappointment to this isn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. Uh, a lot of, a couple of liberals were thinking, especially with Alito, who is notoriously a hardline conservative writing, that they were going to straight up uh, uh, do do a Shelby County 2.0 uh, to this. And to kind of summarize the Shelby County decision from 2013, it was a majority opinion written by the Chief Justice Roberts, where the uh, pre-clearance restrictions that were imposed on states with a history of violating voting rights was, which is section five of the Voting Rights Act, was straight up eliminated. Uh, they thought, yeah, so a bunch of liberals thought they were going to do that again to section two, which concerns disparate impact of uh, voting laws. And they kind of sort of didn't do, they didn't go as far as eliminating it, but it does, there are questions that remain uh, and that particular lengthy quote I read from Alito is a very interesting claim to make in a, it really shows in my view who the Supreme Court is serving here. Uh, that was a, a pretty nasty thing to write in an opinion, but not surprising given the Supreme Court is made up of a bunch of elites, unironically. And uh, taking voter, voter fraud claims from the Republican Party seriously is kind of an interesting view, but that I stridently disagree with, given we've seen how that's worked out with the audit down here. Anyways, that's kind of, yeah, thank you for kind of entertaining my review squid style explainer of that. Uh, I know that's different from what we, we normally try to do a fast paced news segment, but I just wanted to get that explained. Anyone have anything to say? I definitely, when you mentioned the audit, it's just something, it's just another thing that Arizona is in the news for with this, just bringing this to the Supreme Court. Um, that commentary just from the explanation of the decision, there's just so much you could say about that direct quote as well uh, that I feel like, you know, doesn't really need to be said. I mean, it's something you can form your own opinion on, but there's just a lot um there was a lot there it's a lot to dissect um but you know i i saw specifically the pima county recorder's office said that uh you know their opinion is that the supreme court just ruled um against voters like that was what their opinion of the subject was so i'm interested to see you know especially elections officials in arizona who have been in hot water for um about a year now almost um just like how they handle a ruling like this and how this continues to shift the ever-shifting landscape of Arizona elections and voting and election officials and things like this. Oh yeah, certainly. And I just want to add really quickly, um, the uh, before I forget, the out-of-precinct voting restriction doesn't apply to the, major the vast majority of Arizona voters. In Maricopa County, at least, where, you know, the vast majority of the population lives, uh, there's the, we do the voter center system now where essentially every single voting location is open to everybody if you're a registered voter in Maricopa County. This does affect rural voters though pretty heavily and that's where I've seen a lot of the local criticism come down on is pretty heavily is uh, concerning Native Americans especially in, in the rural parts of the state uh, where they don't have the capacity at the moment to do the voter center, the voting center system that we have in Maricopa County. So, yeah, uh, but yes, definitely, I am, I'm, I'm definitely going to 
be looking to see how, especially how voter official, voting officials down here say, especially the county recorder for this county, uh, Stephen Richer, uh, a Republican who's new to the job and tends to avoid talking to, is <laughs> a little me, is a little shy when it comes to talking out in public uh, most of the time. So I'm curious what he has to think on that too. Anyways, yeah, thank you so much for entertaining me on that. Of course, uh, Kristen, you've got next. Yes. Also, thank you, Gideon. It's it's super important that we understand stuff like this. And honestly, I I really appreciate your insight every time, even if it is a review style take on the hypothetically speaking podcast. It's it doesn't go unappreciated. So let's talk about the Florida condo collapse because. That seems to be the thing on a lot of people's minds, including ours. So according to reporting in the New York Times, a year after an engineering consultant hired by the Champlain Towers South warned of a major structural damage to a concrete slab underneath the pool deck and recommended repairs. However, the slow pace of getting the project underway prompted the president of the condo's HOA to resign. And if you don't know what an HOA is, it's, uh, that just stands for Homeowners Association. This has apparently been a nationwide issue, actually. And you can read about this also in the Times. What you need to know to understand the story right now is that the dilemma that this specific HOA faced in relation to getting the work done and getting the funding for that work from the residents. Um, it's very common for a lot of condo associations specifically to face challenges like this for a lot of reasons that we just, we don't have time to get into. And unless you're somebody who cares a lot about HOAs and things like that, I don't think you'll really want to listen to anyway. But regardless, this all kind of culminated in a week ago on June 24th, the 12-story Champlain Building Towers in Surfside, Florida, collapsing. Um, shortly before 2 a.m. on the day of this recording, there was a stoppage of rescue efforts at the site, and they were halted out of concern um, about the stability of what remains of the building because of rescue efforts. They're, they're concerned that the rest of the building might collapse on people who are trying to, you know, just figure out what's going on and see if they can find any of the over 100 people who are missing right now. And actually, so far, 18 people have been confirmed dead as a result of the collapse. And the exact number of missing right now is 145. So President Joe Biden also addressed families affected by the collapse and told them to, quote, never give up hope, according to the Associated Press. He also touched on his own experiences with grief in the statement, which was posted to Instagram by one woman close to a couple and their daughter, who are still considered missing, saying that he wishes there was something he could do to ease their pain. And this is kind of reflective of how he has addressed other things like the COVID-19 deaths and things like that in terms of reaching out with specifically his own experiences and making a noted effort, at least by the reporter in the Associated Press, a noted effort to empathize with people going through tragedies and things like that. And as of right now, it's unclear when rescue efforts will resume. But the president has stated that rescuers are, quote, not going anywhere. So that's kind of where we're at with this. And honestly, it was really crazy. I didn't find out about this until I was at work at 
Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' the Donuts. I, I was at work and one of the managers walked over to where I was actually making a bunch of iced coffees. And she was like, have you guys heard about this? This, this is crazy. This, this is so like unbelievable like that. And I'm sure a lot of people had a very similar experience when it comes to finding out about what had happened. Yeah, I definitely just like, I don't know. I When I saw the news, it was immediately juxtaposed with um, Florida's uh, general distaste for regulations in terms of building construction maintenance and upkeep um and so that was something that was an interesting juxtaposition but i honestly like you know obviously that's a political and technical element of it and the human element of it immediately is like this is terrible it's awful and you just feel bad for all of those people especially for something that potentially could have been prevented with prior action um not not a great feeling not a great feeling not at all. It's it's really unfortunate that I guess the I know Kirsten wanted to avoid it, kind of describing like the kind of context of the condo collapse, but I guess the briefest summary of it is a collective action problem. Is well, if I if we all just don't do anything, it won't be a problem, right? And that's not true. Anyways, it, it was a messy collective action problem that led to this, and. But where we are now is like 145 people are missing and very likely most of them are in that rubble. And highly like and, and highly likely most of them are, are gone. Uh, which is, I hate, I really hate to say, it. this is awful. This is, I, I, I've been following this story and it's just hurt to see like it, a mass tra tragedy like this is awful. It, it, I can't even put it in words. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's so sad. I mean, what, what else is there to say? It's, it's as you were going to say, it's horrendous. Um, and even I saw this from Rolling Stone, a quote, in an eerie sort of way, the debate about fixing the building was a lot like the debate about fixing our climate. It's all too easy to kick the can down the road, just as, just as you were saying. And it's just, you know, when, when, as you said, there's a collective of things, but like when it feels like this didn't have to happen and my mom lived in Miami and she says it's been sinking since like the nineties. So it's just a lot of, lot of things and a lot of, you know, where it feels like no one, where it feels like no one's going to care about us or the, the general collective people. And if our buildings are safe and okay. And I, I just, I really feel for the families involved, um, and it's just, I don't know what else there is to say. It's just a terrible situation. It's so true. And, you know, I think this is an important takeaway from like what's happened in a general sense. Not only is this tragic and could have been something that could have been avoided with action, but I think it's also important to remember inaction is action. You are making the choice not to act. And this is an extreme example of what that can result in. Even if it's something that you don't think will be a big deal and you wanna avoid because it's a minor inconvenience to your day. You know, as, as you guys pointed out, like it, kicking the can down the road doesn't solve anything. Well, I also, just to, one point to finish off is like, I can't stop like watching the video. It's just, 
it looks like it's a demolition the way it comes down like a planned demolition and it's just and to be on the in the other you know quarter of that building I just I can't imagine it and I can't imagine like people said it sounded like thunder or a storm rolling in like I just I cannot put myself in their shoes again I just feel horrible for everyone involved I agree. Yeah, let's before we hold on it for too long, I say we move. Um, I've got this next one. Uh, the Trump Organization and senior executive of said organization have been charged with tax crimes. The Trump Organization and its chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, have been charged with a sweeping and audacious illegal payment scheme of tax-related crimes, marking the first criminal charges against the former president's company following a years-long investigation by New York prosecutors. Uh, Weisselberg, who has worked for Trump, the Trump family for nearly 50 years, surrendered to the authorities at the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse at 6.20 a.m. on Thursday and was charged by the Manhattan District Attorney with failing to properly report company perks, including rent-free apartments, school fees, and cars in the latest stage of an escalating battle between New York prosecutors and a former president. The scheme was orchestrated by the most senior executives at the Trump Organization, according to prosecutors, and Weisselberg was, quote, one of the largest individual beneficiaries of the scheme. He received $1.7 million in illegal payments, including rent bills and garage fees for his Manhattan apartment and tuition expenses for Weisselberg's family members. Um, in a statement, the Trump Organization said, this is not justice, this is politics. They called Weisselberg a beloved and devoted husband, father, and grandfather, who is, quote, being used by the Manhattan District Attorney as a pawn in a scorched earth attempt to harm the former president. Um, both uh, Weisselberg and an attorney for the Trump Organization pleaded not guilty. Um, no charges, of course, were brought against Donald Trump personally. The move still marks an, an extraordinary turning point for the former president and more are likely to follow more charges to the company and potentially to him. New York prosecutors are still invest investigating allegations of hush money paid to women uh, who they say had sexual relations with Trump and claim of claims of real estate price manipulation. Uh, that's all from The Guardian um, as well, just in case we were looking for it. But that's that was something that happened early this, uh, this morning and The Guardian was on it. Um, does anyone have thoughts on something like this? Because we know this has been in the works for a long time. And so this feels like a very small domino leading into a bunch of big dominoes. Yeah, this could, this could get bigger. This might not, it's, it's hard to tell. Uh, I, you know, I don't work for the Manhattan district attorney's office, but yeah, it definitely gotta say not too surprising that someone got charged eventually, like if uh, given uh, Trump's long history with the law and tax law specifically, this isn't surprising that someone in his orbit got hit by uh, violating tax law, so. Yeah, this is definitely, I mean, I don't, I would not say it came as a shock at all. Um, I would just say it's something that was expected and we just kind of know, didn't know when it was coming um, and it's now. Um, so I guess this is going to be probably the first in a long line of, of charges and a long line of news stories um, involved in this subject. So keep an eye out on those as those continue to develop, but that's what we've got right now for the news. Uh, and we're going to transition with some delightful music. Uh, the one you all recognize from the last few episodes uh, into entertainment where we have one good long story about Britney Spears and conservatorship.
entertainment. Hi, we're back. Uh, entertainment. Um, I've got one half of this story, and then Kirsten's got the second half because she's cool and knows about this as well. Um, so this is about Britney Spears and conservatorship. TMZ reports uh, that the financial, and this is also, this is TMZ. You had the original report. This has been everywhere now. This isn't just speculation or anything. Um, TMZ resorts, uh, reports geez, that the financial institution appointed by the judge to become the co-conservator of Britney Spears' estate is bowing out before it even gets started, leaving her dad as the sole conservator over her estate. This comes at the same time as the as a court refusing to remove her father, Jamie Spears, from the conservatorship uh, at the request of Britney Spears, but agreeing to put the financial institution as the co-conservator, which is now obviously stepping down. Um, sources with direct knowledge told TMZ uh, Bessemer Trust decided it does not want to get involved because it's become gun shy over all the controversy surrounding the conservatorship. As one source put it, Bessemer feels the circumstances surrounding Britney's conservatorship have become a horror its nest. Um, so why is this bad? We're shifting over to uh, NBC News from last year talking about this issue. Uh, the major issue with conservatorship is that it strips a person of the legal rights to even fight it. Uh, to hire an attorney, the person sub subject to a conservatorship needs permission from the court, but she also lacks uh, standing to bring a uh, suit on her own. Britney Spears does. That's why most conservatorships survive until death. The person is subject to them. Uh, the person subject to them often lacks the legal ability to escape from them. Uh, Britney's father basically controls her decisions, her assets. Um, she can't even agree to become engaged to her long-term boyfriend without her father's approval or her conservator's approval. Um, a conservatorship, by the way, um, is a court-appointed, uh, basically just a court-appointed transfer of so all of someone's assets and their decision-making uh, in a legal sense um, because they believe the person is uh, mentally ill or either somehow unfit to make those decisions themselves. Um, and that is happening, obviously, with Britney Spears and her father. Uh, Kirsten has more on what happens next. Right. So it's also important to note that the, she's actually under two conservatorships. One of her person, which is what Vaughn described specifically about her legal decisions and everything along those lines, her decisions um, medically as well, everything along those lines. So treatment, treatment for her mental illness, including medications and therapy, that all falls under the purview of the conservator for the conservatee. And then she's also under a conservatorship of her estate. And so deciding to like, quote unquote, free Britney would actually come in two parts. One of them being likely first the, um, the conservatorship of her person. And then secondly, the conservatorship of her estate. Because as we go through these legal proceedings, it's important to note, Britney's estate is paying for all of it. That includes the lawyers representing her. That includes the lawyers representing her father and those who are kind of defending the conservatorships. So on June 23rd, she spoke actually for the first time ever um, herself about the conservatorships that she's been under at a hearing. And um, she alleged basically, and I'm kind of quoting a little bit uh, from a article on Pitchfork, she basically alleged that the conservatorship has allowed her father to control her finances, decisions about her body, which include decisions about her birth control and other things wherein she's basically alleging um, more or less that the conservatorships held over her since 2014, which she's been pushing against it since 2014 or so, um, that this has more or less been abusive. And a lot of people tend to agree, although these 
from what I've seen and been able to tell, this is the general nature, basically, of what conservatorships are. Um, so what happens next after this hearing has been that reportedly Brittany has allegedly asked that the proceedings from here on out be sealed. Um, and this has a lot to do with the fact that medical information about her is going to be involved, whether that be to do with her mental health or otherwise, as we mentioned in her statement to the court, she did mention, um, you know, birth control decisions being made for her against her will. And that's obviously very sensitive information. And so for her safety and privacy, it's likely that this is going to happen. Um, and as frustrating as that may be for us, as members of the public and for people who are members of the Free Britney movement and so on and so forth, you know, we likely won't know what happens until the very end result. And whether or not she will be able to exit the conservatorship of her person or of her estate, um, it's currently unclear. She's expressed very strongly that she does not want to be evaluated again, um, which she would need to be in the event that a petition is filed to end the conservatorship of either. Um, but there's also not any currently petition filed by Brittany or anyone working for her to end the conservatorships that she's under. There is one filed by, I think a fan it was, um, by somebody not you know directly related to her. And it's very likely that that will be thrown out. Um, but that is, it is out there. Yeah, this is, I mean, obviously like a story with a lot of twists and turns there's just so much going on and it just feels like I don't know this is the first thing in a long time that I've seen like massive celebrity support for that really hasn't changed anything or really gotten anything done because if I recall I mean a lot through 2020 and into 2021 this was something that a lot of celebrities were supporting this movement a lot of people were trying to gain it exposure and this is the first time in a while I feel like I've seen something that that just like didn't accomplish Right. And it's actually just the nature of what a conservatorship is and how that would go about ending in a way, which we don't really see that commonly from what I know. And just to make it clear, I'm not studying law. I'm not, you know, a professional in any capacity. I'm just someone who's kind of interested in this stuff. Anyone who studies policy is a nerd, right? <laughs> Oh my goodness, Vaughn Jones, I will come and fight you. Um, oh but, boy. I, I will, but no, see, I do have something briefly to say on this. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, freelance uh, disability writer I follow, Sarah Luderman, uh, was has been talking a lot about this, specifically like uh, how on how you were saying, like, it's pretty hard, it's pretty much impossible to exit a conservatorship. Once you're in, you're basically in until you're gone. And how they're frequently frequently used to di abuse disabled people. And which is why this is, which is, uh, which is kind of why this has not been such a big issue for so long is that the people that were getting hurt by this were people on the complete margins of society. Now it's somebody that, you know, is a household name still in this country who's getting hurt by one of these things it seems and now people are finally looking at conservatorships but i think it's really important to note that this is extremely common this is not an uncommon thing there's 
reading uh, Sarah Luderman, who writes for a bunch of freelancer for a bunch of places. Uh, and she talks, she's been talking a lot about this on Twitter and in her writing recently. Uh, in the NBC News article, I saw that it was millions, if not like billions of dollars, or, like millions are under other people's control due to conservatorship. And it's not just in this one case, but, you know, a court rules that somebody basically controls all of your assets and millions of dollars have been changed, like hands have been changed in that way. Um, and it's impossible to examine, you know, how how many of those people have good intentions and how many of those people handle that money properly, which is why I think that a financial, like a consultancy agency was brought in on this because that money may not have been being used correctly and for all the right reasons and for good intentions. Uh, and now obviously they want to leave just because of the heat brought on to said conservatorship. Um, there's a lot. Right. And the comment that I made before, I want to clarify that this is, I said something along the lines of, well, this is the nature of conservatorships in a way where when Brittany was alleging that this was something that she felt was abusive, it really is the complete and utter stripping in a way of a person's rights and their abilities to make decisions. That's what a conservatorship is. And I in no way want to imply that that is correct in my eyes or that I think that that's a good thing um I honestly think that this or at least I hope that this is a wake a wake-up call for us to re-examine what the law does and does not permit um now that we have this visible case Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, again, at the risk of hanging on to this for too long, we are all very opinionated people and we could talk about this forever. Uh, so at the risk of hanging on too long, uh, and because my excitement cannot contain itself, uh, we're going to move to sports and talk about the most monumental thing in the world. Um, the first one, um, I'm just going to take a moment um, and take a victory lap. Um, the Phoenix Suns are uh, have cemented their place in the NBA Finals after beating the LA Clippers in six games. Um, they face the winner of Hawks-Bucks. It is Thursday afternoon. As of right now, it's tied 2-2 uh, this series, obviously, but Giannis is out for Game 5, which is going to tip the scales. We're still unsure about Trey Young's status for Game 5 as well. Um, but who cares? Um, the Suns are in the finals for the first time since 1993. That's 28 years for you counting at home. Um, I have been on the Suns and watching the Suns constantly, uh, for, uh, I mean, I'm 22. I remember becoming like a consciously thinking, like, I like the Suns at like six or seven. Like I've been doing this for years and it's here now. And I get to watch the Suns in the finals and Chris Paul has taken the Suns after a 41 point performance with no turnovers and like eight missed shots out of like 30 or whatever. Um, he, you know, took this team to heights that Steve Nash couldn't take it. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, I could cry. I did cry last night. I had a, a tear filled evening uh, of joy. Uh, you forget sometimes, especially since this is the first time at any areas like major four, you know, football, basketball, baseball, um, and the other one, um, hockey, that one, um, we'll talk about that later, uh, made, has made it to a, the championship round for the Suns. Obviously I've watched the Mercury bring home trophies and that's been amazing because I love them as well, but it's been like 
since 2009 that one of those four major sports teams or 2008 even that one of those teams made their championship round and so sometimes you forget and your your desert is barren and there's no trophies being brought in by Larry Fitzgerald and Shane Doan and Steve Nash um, and uh, the Suns have the chance to bring one home uh, and it's a lot and I'm really happy about it and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, it, it's it's it, as somebody who was less of a Suns fan and more of an admittedly a bit a bit of a bandwagoner. I, I'll keep, I'll be honest on this show. Um, I did grow up here though. I did at least like the Suns. <laughs> I did, I just was never a super much of a, a big fan of like a super fan or anything like fun. But like no, it's it's really exciting. Uh, it's it, this year for Arizona has kind of sucked, uh, and for lots of different reasons, uh, including you know the seventeen thousand dead from the COVID uh, COVID uh, in our state. It's been a very not great year in this state, it's, and it's, I feel like it's been time for good news. We've struggled with COVID. It's been hot, impossibly hot every day. Um, you know, we've been in national news and people have been laughing at our expense. Um, but to see a bunch of Suns fans gathered at the airport yesterday to welcome the team home from LA at like 11:30 PM, there was like thousands of people there at the airport to welcome the team back. This is, I don't know, Phoenix is a basketball city. Uh, I could get emotional talking about it. Also, I hate Patrick Beverly. You're a joker. I don't care that you apologized. Uh, Cancun on three. Um, anyway, baseball happy bobby bonilla day to all those who celebrate the mets are still paying bobby bonilla years and years later um congratulations to robert uh for the big fat check you got today uh and i want to talk briefly about the milwaukee brewers they're on top of a contested nl central um they have the best record in the league since may 21st when they traded for Rays shortstop willie adamas um and they have this top this top record in the uh, NL Central, despite struggling with injuries and major regression from power hitting infielder Keston Hira. Um, the Cubs went up by seven runs and still lost. Uh, and the Yankees also did that. Thank you, Nicole, for your, uh, for your additions. Uh, go Cubs. Uh, Adamus is slashing uh, 280, 362, 523 with 11 doubles and seven homers since coming to the Brewers, which is hashtag good. Um, and hashtag very good in comparison to him uh, in Tampa, where he was hitting 197, 371, and 625. Uh, not great. Um, the Rays, uh, they are not the team to get fleeced, and they usually do fleece, but this was actually a mutually beneficial trade. Um, uh, JP Fire, Fierison, or I don't know how to pronounce that last name. It's kind of long and crazy, um, but he's given them a lot of really great innings in Tampa since coming over from Milwaukee, improved his ERA drastically. Um, other news in baseball, the Diamondbacks still stink on ice. Um, they're so bad. Uh, and the trade deadline is actually coming up. It's this month at the end in July 30th. Uh, and the Diamondbacks started early by trading longtime fan favorite Tim LaCastro to the Yankees, where he actually started his career, I think, um, for a double-A pitcher. Um, they've lost what feels like every game ever, um, despite recently winning one game and breaking their record-long road losing streak. Um, they're bad, uh, and they need a strong leader at the helm to to fix it. But GM Mike Hazen took a leave of absence to care for his wife who has brain cancer. He needs to be away from the team to care for this personal matter. So the decisions fall to the rest of the front office who have struggled to put together a strong roster since 2017. And now it's their job by July 30th to offload uh, players looking to win in other places uh, and bring in prospects for the future. Uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah. 
you oh, know what? Diamondbacks. If, if the Diamondbacks are bad at the expense of the Suns being good, it, I don't know. Cry me a river. It's, it's worth it. it. It has to be worth it. It's worth it. But uh, yeah, so the Brewers leading the NL Central is kind of surprising. And I know I'm a Cubs fan, say what you will, but like because they're so banged up and their lineup is kind of hysterical and they're being really good. Um, the Cubs, on the other hand, are not. They've lost like six straight. Uh, like Vaughn said, they went up seven runs and they gave up 15 straight after that. Seven runs in the first inning. Yeah. Um, really, really glad we let Schwarber and you Darvish and John Lester walk. Wow. I love Zach Davies. Anyways, he wasn't the one who did the seven runs or who let go of 15, but still. Yeah. So the Cubs have lost six straight. They've gone all the way to like third or something in the NL Central. I, I ha- honestly haven't checked. They're a distant second. Distant second? Okay. Wow, we're ahead of the Reds? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked. But yeah, Cubs will probably have to be doing something by July 30th as well because it's been rough. And this team has been so up and down. Clearly they peaked early. But, you know, it was fun. It was really fun when they were really good. Now they're just kind of not because the Cubs are bad they're really bad when the Cubs are good they're really good so you know it's it's a roller coaster to say the least um yeah as far as the Yankees too I'll just touch on that uh, Shohei Otani was not great for once uh in his lifetime and gave up four runs in the first and I think he only recorded one out or no two outs sorry in the first inning uh but the Angels still won so haha the Yankees lose anyways (laughs) onto some a little I, I love that reference it's thank you it's the best i didn't go i didn't go all in i didn't put my chips all in i should have though um in really tough news on to end the mlb section because i feel like we couldn't go to into the mlb and not talk about it uh these so trevor bauer pitcher for the um la dodgers was accused Today, Thursday, Tuesday of assault, Pasadena police and MLB are investigating. I will not go into details here. There's content warning in the athletic article. I believe ESPN also has a, a free article that's not behind a paywall for that. It's really, Fun. it's really, yeah. Um, it's gross. Yeah. It's, if you are easily triggered by these things or upset by these things, don't read it. Uh, because I like I, it made me shudder intensely reading the whole thing, and it was just really, I don't know, it's disgusting. Um, and yet again, I feel like you know, obviously Nicole, there's more to this, so I'm gonna let you do it. But again, spoiler alert, uh, looks like the athlete's gonna get away with it. Sadly, yeah. <clears throat> what I'll, I'll sort of summarize it in this one quote from this woman. Uh, quote, I agreed to have consensual sex. This is from ESPN. The woman said in a declaration given under the penalty of perjury. However, I did not agree or consent to what he did next. I I did not agree to be sexually assaulted. That alone is like, I almost choked up at that. Um, Just put him in jail and throw away the key. It's just, I don't even know what to say. Uh, With athletes, powerful men is continuing to get away with it on that hand dave roberts the manager of the dodgers said today thursday that bauer is with the team in dc as they have um, a four-game stretch in dc this weekend and plans to start him on sunday quote it's out of our hands (sighs) you're 
Can we swear on this? Go ahead. You're the fucking manager. It is very much in your hands, Dave. You you can take him out of the game. Actually, the MLB can suspend him for a period of time uh, while while they investigate this. And listen, we've said this before with other athletes. If you are somehow defending Bauer because, oh, well, we have to wait and see what the court of law says. Well, the court of law, as we learned yesterday, fucks up a lot. <laughs> and because Bill Cosby just got out on a freaking technicality. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. It's the MLB can do something. Dave Roberts can do something. There are many things that can be done here while the court of law takes place because and I was even remiss at first point. The court of law messes up a lot in, in these. Uh, the details are just horrific and Bauer won't see it, but your friends will. Your friends will just see you defending a rapist, a sexual sexual assault and oh my god i don't even know what else to say (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) it's an extremely poignant point we've made this point before but it's an extremely poignant point your friends will see this your employer will see this your family will see this all the women in your life will see this all the victims of sexual abuse and domestic abuse in your life will see this you gain nothing you gain nothing especially before a ruling or before an investigation or before a court case you gain nothing in siding with the person in the story who is not the victim I, I, I just okay i know i told you to not read it if you're easily triggered by these things so don't if you don't want to but if you do have a strong stomach read it and then conceptualize how someone may be able to side with Trevor Bauer. You can't because it's gross and it's very immoral and disgusting. Um, Let's talk about hockey instead, Um, please. The Stanley Cup is happening. I thought it wasn't. I thought it hadn't started yet, but it's happening right now under my nose. I opened the doc and and it says the Stanley Cup starts tomorrow. And I'm like, Vaughn, (laughs) the Lightning are up 2-0 in the series, but I didn't want to take away what you wrote. So read what you wrote because it's still tomorrow. Um, Tampa title town, the lightning, they face off against a much weaker, uh, Montreal Canadien, um, hockey team. Um, they're looking and the Tampa, Tampa Bay lightning are looking to repeat from last year's success and win the city's third, uh, sports championship in two years. Tom um, Brady effect. Yeah. Tom Brady. Effect. All, it could have been the fourth, uh, if, uh, the empire didn't win the MLB <laughs> the world series last year, the evil empire, the LA Dodgers. Um, anyway, uh, the Lightning won 36 games in a challenging division, and the Canadiens only won 24 games with 11 overtime losses in a weaker Canadian division. Do you see how I did that? They're the Canadiens, but the division is the Canadian division. Um, <laughs> Tampa leads the series 2-0, basically proving all the Vegas betters right, um, and they're going to probably repeat, go back-to-back. Um, I really wanted the Islanders to win because a very close friend of mine and a, cl- a friend of all of ours, Julius Orgy, is a big Islanders fan, but they just couldn't pull it out. Um, anyway, that's hockey. Sorry, I forgot it when I was listing. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot hockey when I was uh, listing out the well, four major sports, but that's what I believe. That's, you know, that's what I do. Um, Nicole's got name, image, yeah. likeness. Well, and, and just to... Yeah, and just to add on to the NHL, um, Montreal. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do accents for the life of me. But oh, here, I yeah, the you. Canadians uh, should the not be here. Montreal Canadiens, continue. 
Thank you. Yeah, they should not be here. Um, they were not good all season, and they've just kind of had one of those playoff runs, you know, like the Ravens did a long time ago. Uh, I should say more specifically Joe Flacco, but uh, sort of similar to that. And, yeah, Tampa is just very much the superior team. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So happy NIL day name, image, and likeness in the NCAA officially begins today, July 1st. Uh, many athletes have already like had like logos ready. Spencer Rattlers. It's like probably the best I've seen so far, by the way, it's like the S and the R and like, you know, rattlesnake that or something. Stinks. Sorry. As an Arizona I agree. person, that dude stinks. I tend to agree because I don't like Oklahoma, but it's a cool logo. Uh, Graham Mertz, a Wisconsin quarterback, is like it's a, it's another good one, but it's I forget where it's like kind of takes inspiration of. I don't know if it's copying or not, but yeah. So a lot of athletes have, or student athletes have already jumped on this train. Even ASU's kicker, um, Vaughn, what, what was his name again? <laughs> oh, here, hold on, let me pull this up. Yeah, this was funny. Yeah, we go did, for I it. I discovered this like right before we started uh, recording the show. Is an epic name image likeness moment. Uh, from Logan Tyler, um, who's an ASU kicker. Um, he posted a GoPuff code where you can save $10 if you sign up using his code. It literally like immediately. <laughs> it's very good. Congratulations to, uh, to, to Logan Tyler. Yeah, and even quarterback uh, Bo Nix of the Auburn Tigers, uh, he jumped on it as well. Um, Milo Sweet Tea. Uh, with the sponsorship show yeah a lot of a lot of athletes have that going for them now and like had it ready um interestingly I didn't put this in there but on like the flip side so like schools can still kind of have a little bit of control um you've probably seen stuff with Michigan today that is literally like state law that they have to like report it to the school what they're doing and then past July 16th that like something happens. I forget specifics, but it's like literally state law. I want to clarify that. Uh, but BYU is just your sponsorship has to like follow the school's honor code, which means basically they can't get sponsorships because um, anything with like alcohol, even coffee, um, it's BYU. So you can kind of imagine <laughs> what they can and can't have sponsorships with according to their code. Not even a sweet like said, tea sponsorship. That's got caffeine. No. You can't do that wild I don't get it um anyways so many athletes in the past have lost their NCAA careers or you know just erased from existence due to previous rules um because of accepting benefits of any sort uh I put here give Reggie Bush his Heisman back and reinstate his records um that has been a note of contention specifically today my counterpoint is he shouldn't have given it up in the first place because I distinctly remember he gave it up on his own. Like the NCAA forced him to forfeit it. I know, I know. But like, he, he was very much, I remember this vividly, like do the right thing, give it up. Counterpoint, just don't. But yes, give him, give it back to him and uh, reinstate his records because he had to forfeit his Heisman in 05. He didn't until later, like I said, after the NCAA ruled that he received impermissible benefits while at USC. <clears throat> excuse me the Trojans were hit with severe sanctions and had to vacate all games Bush played while ineligible and USC had to disassociate disassociate this oh my god <laughs> my list hates me not be with Bush um up until like 
last year, I think. I think literally 2020 was the first time he could be on campus or 2019, very recently. Um, student athletes have had to choose between playing their sport or making any amount of money. Um, one of the most notable ex examples is Donald De La Haye, a UCF kicker who chose his YouTube channel. There's been countless other athletes. Uh, give the Fab Five their title back too. Um, just raise the banner. The banner should have already been up. Um, another example I remember, like Ohio State players were um, selling their rings and whatnot, and Jim Trestle was fired because of it in 2011. But it gave Michigan their only win in like the past however many years. So like whatever. Um, good, good with me. Yeah, fire Jim Trestle. Um, coaches can no longer. So what this means is coaches can no longer ban social media because that could be a potential revenue stream or restrict restrict freshmen from doing media media interviews for along the same reasons and Olympians no longer have to choose between getting paid or competing in college come this summer, which is really nice and really cool. Uh, for example, at Olympic trials for track and field, you've probably seen athletes either wear like Nike or Under Armour, probably not Under Armour, but like I'm, I'm Reebok, stuff like that, or where they're um, like college, where they go to college. And that's obviously because they can't have sponsorships and like all that jazz. So now, now they don't have to make that decision. They can wear Nike all they want. Uh, side note, I really like the Nike like uniforms this year. They're really nice. Um, but yeah, so this is really cool. Um, it's sort of, it's sort of just a first step because there are still a lot of inequalities within the NCAA in regards to gender and race and as, and across divisions as well, but this is a good start. Yeah, this is definitely, um, I don't know, athletes should be paid for their efforts, especially how hard they work. Um, it, it's interesting to see how much pressure legislation in different states that wasn't even a cooperative effort between states to put this legislation in place. There were, you know, I think maybe 18 or 19 states whose NIL laws were going to come into place really soon. And there wasn't even all 50. And the NCAA was like, fine, fine, fine. We'll just do it for everyone. We'll just do it for everyone. Fine. Um, and so that was really interesting to see how that like immediately kind of flipped a switch for the NCAA um, as a legislative body. But they're, you know, you know, they're crying over there. They're upset about it. But like, who cares? Let them play. Let them get paid. They work much harder than the guys in the offices do. So that's what I'm that's all I'm saying. And it's a billion dollar business. Sorry, go Absolutely. ahead. Go ahead, Gideon. Oh, yeah. Just wanted to say college athletes are workers, too. They they have they should they have a right to, you know, be compensated in my view and to even be unionized which is a question that is still <laughs> which the NCAA would <laughs> scream at <laughs> yeah uh. <laughs> yeah it's, exactly and as far as uh, your favorite game coming back the NCAA football and basketball games there was a baseball one too I kind of forget about um so EA is working to see if they can get like player's name, image, and likeness come 2023, I believe, is when the game will be released. But an interesting point that I almost brought up last week um, that Jay Billis had said on um, oh my God, ESPN Daily, their podcast, was that um, with the, this was, yeah, well, just all their sports games, and specifically, oh my gosh, for the NCAA was that they have you've heard this before, but they had all the players, you know, name, image, like, well, image and likeness, just not the name. And they didn't make a dollar off of it. And when Jay Billis was doing the recording for the basketball one specifically, he asked why the coach's name, image, and likeness wasn't there. And the EA person responded, well, because we'd have to pay them. Huh? 
huh, funny how that works, right? So just another example of how student athletes deserve to make money off their name, image, and likeness from a billion dollar company that all that money goes back into schools and the players don't see a dime of it despite making all of the revenue. It's their effort that makes the revenue. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we've said what needs to be said. I think out of all the things we've done today, hypothetically speaking, is one of the things that we all did today. Um, so I'm very proud of us for doing this. Um, I'm not gonna play the song again. I'm not gonna do like a dramatic outro. Um, I will say, however, uh, that uh, NBA Finals tickets at the Sun Stadium on resale right now are like a little above $1,000. So if you're interested, my Venmo is... No, I'm just kidding.